What's going on guys? It is Elijah from the Comebacks Podcast and today we actually have a very special episode for you guys. This has been an episode that we have been wanting to do for a while. Um, this is a guest that we have been talking about bringing on for a few weeks now, but unfortunately, you know, things just kept coming up and we weren't able to get him in until today. So... Without further ado, I just wanted to introduce you guys. We actually have Dill Dempsey in the house. What's going on, brother? Oh, man. It is due time, I know. But, hey, I don't live here, man. You know that. But, I mean, it's always fun, man. Good times to have around. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, let's just shoot straight, have some fun, and uh, guide me along the way, man. I'm ready to go. Listen, man, I'm like a I'm like a veteran, like in the bedroom, you know. So I, I'm really good at the whole guiding and the and the shooting straight, you know what I mean? <laughs> so nevertheless, man, yeah. So I wanted to have you on today because I feel like with the Comebacks podcast, I think I we myself and Eric have explained it to you before. And before I get too far, unfortunately, Eric wasn't able to join us here today. Uh, I'm pretty sure some stuff probably came up with him. So. Nevertheless, that, that that's fine. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get this interview going. Uh, and maybe we can have you on again later on in the future as well, uh, if there's anything that he wants to add specifically. But uh, I wanted to get your story out there because the, the really the main reason we started the Comebacks podcast, the whole meaning behind, you know, the term the comeback is, uh, you know, looking at it in wrestling. That's kind of, you know, when the baby face comes back, you know, still has fight left um, in sports, kind of the same thing. You know, no matter how much, how far by, how far behind they are in like a sport, that's them coming back to win the game or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's just a term that we can use in life, and that's kind of why we came up with the comebacks. We felt like is there's a lot of meaning behind that. So I wanted to talk to you today about your comeback story. Um, before we get into you know the whole comeback story, tell uh, our audience a little bit about yourself, man. How'd you get into wrestling? Oh man, well. The origin story is a uh, quite a bit of a funny one because uh, growing up, I was a uh, I was a wild child, you know. I was always hyper. I was hard to settle down, you know. I was like running all over the place. I was basically a demolition derby, you know, without the wheels, as they say. <laughs> and uh, how I can recall it is through what my uh, mother said uh, back when I was maybe four. I don't remember this, but I mean, I do trust her word. She was making dinner one night and uh, she was trying to flip through channels to find something to calm me down. And it might have been at the time, of course, WWF. And all of a sudden she saw I just sat still and it was I just watched. And she's like, OK, maybe this this will work kind of deal. But truly my first memory. And it's funny because of the date. It's three, three, oh, three, March 3rd, 2003, Monday Night Raw. Very first match I ever saw was Jeff Hardy versus Christian. And that was my first real, like, whoa, this is cool. Like, whoa, like, so many different characters and people. Like, there was even this hardcore match. It was like Kane and Rob Van Dam against Tommy Germer and Al Snow. And there was these weapons. I'm like, whoa, you know, and like a seven-year-old watching and mesmerized by the violence, you know. <laughs> but, uh, of course, you know. And uh, throughout the years, I just never stopped. And... I honestly did not know a lick about what independents were. I thought, oh, it's WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, back then ECW, WCW, all that stuff. Until I believe I was a sophomore in high school, I heard about a, a local wrestling promotion that had a school or a training facility. 
And they had like teenagers there. Like he could be at least 14 or older. Uh, shouts out to uh, Roxanne Perez. Roxy, she came from that same era when she started when she was 13 in Laredo. And uh, I didn't take advantage of it because to be honest, I was maybe a little frightened because it was like, oh man, I'm used to creating myself in the games and going through season mode, but not in real life, you know? Yeah. But but I didn't want it to be just a pipe dream. So I eventually met a man by the name of Oscar Zamaron. Shout out to him uh, when I was 17, 16. Oh yeah, bro. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> Shout out, bro. <laughs> if, he's, if he's listening to this. <laughs> Uh, he has the wrestling shop, which was in Laredo at the time, and he had a wrestling promotion there. So I eventually asked him, hey, man, uh, what can I do to be part of this? Like, I really want to start doing this. And I was a few months away from 18 when I asked, and he's like, yeah, so how, how old are you again? I'm like, uh, 17. Okay, uh, you'll be on the next one, though, because you'll be 18 by then, right? I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. And... Again, didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know what it took. I just thought, okay, let me dress like someone that I'm not normally dressed as. Like, I literally spent $100 in Academy, and I looked like a guy from ECW. <laughs> like, I didn't have proper gear. Yes, and the UFC kick pads and the volleyball elbow pads. And, I would have paid to see that. Oh, boy. <laughs> If you go deep in the archives, <laughs> it'll be there somewhere. And that was how Dynamite Dill was Sir? <laughs> uh, Dill Dynamite, by the way. Uh, but, uh, look, man. <laughs> uh, to kind of continue that without going too much, um, I think when I was back in fifth grade, that I came up with that name somehow. But I'm, I've always been a fan of, you know, alliteration. Like, there's Spider-Man, Peter Parker, there's uh, Bruce Banner, the Hulk, you know, it's same first same last name with the letters i just thought oh cool dill dynamite you know sounds like i don't know cool dynamite i guess you know yeah. but i was in fifth grade mind you but i kept the name obviously um i debuted in november 30th of 2013 in a battle royal in a rumble for the heavyweight title <laughs> not knowing a lick of what i was doing minus maybe a couple of roles I didn't die, <laughs> and I got thrown over, and I was on cloud nine, you know, but uh, no pun intended, harsh reality kicked in that, okay, I really need to start training and knowing what I'm doing. If not, I'm going to get hurt or hurt others, and I wasn't booked for a good while until I got properly trained, like two years later with a five-star wrestling, shout out to them, you know, and long story short, it's been... Lots of bumps and uh, peaks and valleys, and here we are today, nearly 10 years later. There we go. Well, that actually makes me want to know, man. So what was it that happened, like whether it was during that match or after that, kind of made you tell yourself, okay, well, if I want to really do this after making that you know, debut, what was it that made you say, okay, well, I need to start training? Like what, what was it that did that for you? Hmm, so to kind of piggyback off that, it took a little bit for me to realize because I was just an 18-year-old, really happy to be there, living my dream, per se. Um, funny little story is, I was on cloud nine, you know, after I got eliminated, and I went to the back, I'm like, wow, actually, and I was like a little, not cocky, but I was kind of like, man, this, this really didn't hurt until 
Um, shout out to Prince uh, Fontenelle, by the way. He's in Louisiana at the moment. He uh, was this big, jacked bodybuilder who's also a wrestler. All of a sudden, he sees this big hand chopped the life out of me Jesus in the Christ. back. And he's like, how did that feel, brother? I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so that woke me up and like, okay, eyes open, mouth shut. Got it. <laughs> you know? And um, I had a couple, mm, about a couple handful of matches throughout the next several months to a year. Very inconsistent. It was honestly not until, let's see... Because there was a bit of a pivotal moment, but I'm trying to pinpoint it. It was around the time I started getting booking uh, bookings regularly again in the summer of 2015, where I was getting a little more eyes on me locally, but in the sense of that they can see through me that I was very inexperienced, very like, uh, what, what can I say? Very, you know, obvious and like, oh, I'm trying to just go along and not look like at least I know what I'm, you know, what I'm doing out there. And uh, I slowly but surely got some trainings on the side, but not an actual school until an incident happened. And, uh, uh -oh. oh yeah, <laughs> this is, this is a big, uh -oh. this was like a uh, late 2015. I, I try not to erase it, but it's a it's negative in what happened, but positive to how it built me into the future. So I guess this is a good little comeback, you could say. One of the few I've had, you could say, peaks and valleys. Yeah. Um, I was in a triple threat match where um essentially one of the very first things I was supposed to do was go up on these guys and look strong, like give like a baby face, you know, as we call a shine, where I was gonna give them like a double drop kick, if I'm not mistaken, like one on each but what was supposed to happen was I was supposed to duck their double clothesline first, hit the ropes, then get them. But then what had really happened is I ducked their line. I lost my footing, which even if I do that now, I can properly, I guess, fix that because of the training and the footwork that we have to do. Because that's very underrated when it comes to training, the footwork and the stances. I lost my footing and I literally fell out of the ring like if I suicide dived a ghost. Oh. And how does that happen? Exactly. <laughs> I ducked and then like in the cartoons like the <laughs> boom. The only thing that saved me from cracking my head on the floor was my thigh hit the metal beam of the ring where the apron is just <laughs> and I, I felt defeated. I felt so embarrassed. I'm like, what happened? What's going on? People thought I was legit hurt. I was, but not to the point where I couldn't continue. But I was just so embarrassed that I was like, nah, bro, I'm going to the back. So I just sold it as like, oh, my leg or oh, my, my head, or, you know. I was embarrassed. People thought it was a legit thing until they saw the footage back. And back in those days, especially on Facebook and social media, there's this term called trash baggers or like a world famous flea market that kind of highlights, you know, backyard quote unquote stuff or people that aren't trained and they just put that out there to ridicule them in a way with commentary. I got exposed to that very early because, oh, we got this kid who's not trained. He's a backyarder and old. Oh, 
making Laredo wrestling look like a joke and whatnot. It was like the talk of the town for months to the point where finally, shout out to Ben Bones, my first original trainer, basically felt sympathy for me in the sense of like, look, you're a good kid, but you really need to know what the hell you're doing. And I'm willing to give you this chance, but I need you to be committed and train with me. And he essentially saved me because I'm not going to name any names in the sense of that it's not worth it. But another trainer from out of town hit up Ben right when I was about to train with Ben, saying that he saw the video and he wanted to help me out. But the thing is, he lives out of town. And back then, his training school was out of town. I later learned that I was going to be invited there as a setup to get what they used to say the term stretched or like get taught a lesson in the sense of like, oh, if you really want to be in this, we really got to show you that this is not for you. But if you push through, we'll respect you kind of deal like that, that old school stuff that thankfully kind of died down, you know, but I kind of dodged a bullet. Let's just say that, you know, and once that training fully, you know, got instilled and I fully went through with it, um, I never looked back and I'm here today, you know, finally woke up, grew up, I guess, and just took it more serious, you know? Yeah, there you go. And I think that's, that's really cool. I didn't, you know, like you said, like that in a sense, that was kind of like your own comeback story rather than, you know, letting something like that, you know, being embarrassing yourself in a sense in front of, you know, a crowd in that magnitude a lot of people I feel like would kind of just shy away from it. Like, Oh, I look dumb. Like I'm just going to give up right here. But I had thoughts. <laughs> you, you, you know, yeah. You, like, like you said, like you really, you know, considered a lot of different things, but you know, the fact that you stuck with it and you are where you are today, I think that's honestly a, a badass thing, you know, especially knowing how a lot of the scene looks at you now, like not only as, you know, one of, uh, someone of, uh, I guess you could say like prestige in the sense that, I, I know when I look at you, I think, okay, well, Dill, he's been doing this for quite a long time, you know, like a good amount of time. I, I look at you as a locker room leader in a lot of locker rooms that I share with you. And I feel like your work speaks for itself, man. You're one of the best that Texas has to offer. And I'm not just saying that because you're my friend, but I genuinely believe that, you know. So that's really cool to hear, you know, that that's kind of how you got started. Um, but uh, how did... Five Star Wrestling Academy because I know you're pretty you're pretty close with Five Star. Uh, I've I know that that's another place that you ended up training at, um, and I feel like now you're one of the trainers there if I remember correctly, um, or you help out at least Spartan with out. yeah you help out with a lot of the stuff that goes there. So uh, how did how did Luis come in the picture? Like how did you uh, start doing that there at Five Star? So um, the name I mentioned earlier, Ben Bones. Uh, He's the original founder, like he's the, you know, day one founder of Five Star and Spartan was, um, if I'm not mistaken, essentially he was like in that very first class back in, uh, 2010, 2011, 2011. So he was taught by the same guy? Yes. Okay. So Ben is my and Spartan's original teacher, original coach. So, uh, Spartan definitely had... And still has, you know, all the tools and all the teachings of Ben's old school style of Lucha and American and just instills it today with modern day that he's learned through seminars that he's been to all over Texas and instills it with his students 
today. So I was Ben's last graduate until Five Star took a bit of a hiatus because Ben had to move for a bit to, I believe, the oil fields, you know, with his family. And uh, that's like up in West Texas and various parts, like great money. So, I mean, I, I would do too if I had the opportunity, you know to provide for his family and whatnot. Uh, the summer of 2017 is when Five Star came back under Spartan's uh, tutelage. And I was a part of his first class of students that graduated. And I was a graduate still, but I still helped out and I learned along the way because you never stop, you know? Yeah. Like, even students can teach you something that you don't know just by... You know, just by simply observing or taking part. Like, that's the beauty of wrestling. Everything's a learning experience no matter what. And uh, I was, you know, within Ben Bones's tutelage back in 2015-16. To this day, I still train there in Laredo. And I've also trained pretty much religiously up with uh, Dog Pound Championship Wrestling here in San Antonio with uh, Rodney Mack and Jazz every chance I get. And they've showed me quite a few things as well. And uh, that's the beauty of it. You know, you can feel free to go get knowledge anywhere and not have to feel so secluded to where, oh, I'm going to be in this bubble. Whereas, hey, let's go expand. Let's go learn and go explore because one of the best things I was told, and I've told you all this, you know, before, like wrestling's like ice cream. You know, like, hey, I learned chocolate but i'm gonna go learn you know maybe strawberry over here it's still ice cream but it's a different flavor and it adds to your you know to your knowledge and your repertoire yeah. yeah perfectly said exactly so and that's that's really cool that you worded like that i feel like for me you know our our stories are very different <laughs> you know uh very different um yeah. in the sense where i went out of state and I learned from Seth Rollins, right? And although that's a really cool thing, you know, I, I feel like I came back into the Texas scene and I noticed a huge change in the landscape, right? In the sense of not not necessarily what we're doing in the ring. What we're doing in the ring is like you said, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, you know, to to do what we do and a lot of different methods, a lot of different like there's lucha, there's strong style, there's a lot of different ways to do different things. And just like we acknowledge in training today, you know, because uh, today myself, you and Aries, we went to go train, but different topic. But nonetheless, um, the, one, the one thing I noticed, though, is how, and, I, and this also has a question involved. So how do you manage to, you know, I guess... Um, to do that and not necessarily end up in some sort of drama. Because one thing I did notice, you know, coming into the scene was at least at the time I came in, I haven't really noticed it too much recently, but it's also because I try to stay away from all the drama and stuff like that. But I know that there was like uh, a lot of times it was like schools where it was kind of clickish in a sense. Like if you were to work, you know, if you were to go train at one place, you can't go to another place. You can't go work at another place. How have you managed to kind of be cool with everyone to the sense that you were just able to go work wherever, go train wherever, and just kind of just have fun? Like, how, how do you separate yourself to, to a degree to be able to just be cool with everyone? Like, what's kind of been, like, your method to do all that? Ooh, so, especially in a state like Texas, because it's literally 
the size of a dang country. It was a country. We know that. Um, it's not like, oh, over in Vermont, we have like 35. It's like, no, Vermont's a small state, you know, or like, I don't know, Wyoming. It's big, but it's vast, but, or, or barren is the word I'm trying to say. But uh, that is a very hot topic, especially in Texas. The way I see it, and this is my opinion, this is not to offend, I feel Texas has four sections, obviously. There's South Texas, North, East, and West. They all have like their different, ah, not organizations, if you will, but different distinctiveness, like, you know, and their, like, what's available and what's to offer, which is all positive, you know, because Texas is a big slice of pie, you know, and you want, you want to explore it. That's the beauty. Yeah, legit, you know, freaking Texas in general, you know. So, uh, with that said, uh, to kind of answer your question, I um, came from an era, not an era, but more of a time where, um, because when I was with uh, Five Star as a student, really, there was no hybrid yet. Hybrid was just maybe barely starting, like almost at the time. TWA's been around for years. Dog Pound, I think. Might have been back in Louisiana still before uh, the Mac family moved to San Antonio. Uh, and the reason I keep referring to San Antonio is because, to be honest, not to address the elephant in the room, that's where I mostly see this uh, drama, for the lack of a better word. And the way I approach it before I answer how I kind of withstand, not withstand it, but kind of go through it, is I understand, okay, if you signed up with X... You know, and you signed a waiver, paid this X amount of money, blah, 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 blah. If you're learning and as a student, I can understand where it's like a cardinal sin or a big no-no to go train with Y while you're a student with at X school versus like, oh, I'm going to go train with Y and Z. But wait, no, you're still a trainee at X. Like I can understand that because that's kind of I can see where that can be an issue. I can't think of a proper explanation, but in my case, seeing that, you know, I'm <clears throat> a part of another school and whatnot in Laredo, there's really, uh, recently there's been two schools, uh, one that's brand new at the moment, but back then when there was just really five star, it wasn't so much of an issue. So in Laredo, we don't really get it as much, but in a bigger town, I could totally see that. Um, cause I'm not gonna lie. I've trained with TWA before I've trained with hybrid. I've trained with dog pound, like, and everyone I can say I am cool with. I consider brothers, sisters, family, and I've worked their shows as well throughout the States. And to me, I feel, and this may sound controversial, but I feel it's true. As long as I don't see anything that shows exclusivity as when it comes to a, a contract or a deal or anything of the sort, I'm an independent contractor through and through. I'm not signed anywhere. I don't have an obligation to be with X or Y or Z. It's just, okay, I take my dates seriously. I commit to them seriously. Unless, you know, knock on wood, a big opportunity comes that I can't say no to, but that's far and few in between, obviously. But to me, I feel I just show respect to each and everybody that I feel, you know, like treat everyone how you would want to be treated. 
I shake my hands, I give my bro hugs and whatnot, and hey brothers, you know, and all that stuff. I've never really personally felt conflicted because I've worked with so many different organizations, schools, talents. To me, it's like, hey, how are you going to get better if you just work within the same confines instead of branching out and exploring? Good, bad, or indifferent, it's still an experience to jock down, you know? If that really answers, you know, the question at hand, I basically go through it because I have so much that I want to explore and go out there and just have fun and uh, make some memories, you know? Oh, yeah, that, I think that's a really great way to answer that. Um, you know, because that's just one thing, one of the many things I've noticed uh, being in the time, the amount of time I've been, you know, in the Texas scene. I haven't been in it as nearly as long as you, but um, four years strong, and that's one of the things I've noticed. And it's, I think it's a shame sometimes, and this is, again, my own personal opinion. Um, I've just always been, like, a firm believer, like, I don't understand it. And like, personally, I just don't, right? Um, granted, Iowa, Illinois, that whole area, it's pales in comparison to Texas because Texas has a lot of opportunities. Don't get me wrong. So does so does that area. You know, you have AEW, you have SCW, you know, you have a lot of other promotions out there as well. But, you know, Texas right now is a hotbed for wrestling. And I think that right now to be a wrestler, is it's a beautiful time right now, especially in Texas. But... I just never understood the whole, you know, oh, well, if you train here, you can't, after you graduate, you can't go and go train here because then it's going to affect your bookings here. It's going to make you make this coach feel some type of way. Because at the end of the day, man, I think that's the one thing that's kind of cool about coming from Black and Brave. It's because I don't have, like, I'm not tied to any specific school here, you know. Uh that's one of the things that they did in Black and Brave. You know, they encourage you to go out to work at the promotions that you want to work for. They And they make it very clear, you know, you're an independent contractor. If you want to take a booking, take a booking. You know, at the end of the day, that's your call. You know, and I think that that's something I wish, tra- like, was really relayed out nowadays. Um, especially here in the Texas thing. I, I just feel like wrestling's wrestling, man. I, I don't see the point in doing this whole oh well if you work for them you can't work for me because you know that's in that i think when it comes to nlw we were never really like that you know like we we would never tell anyone oh like oh if you work for them you can't work for us no like we were always very lenient like at the end of the day we just want to put on good shows and at the end of the day we just want to wrestle um but that actually leads me to uh this this next topic here um so we learned a little bit about kind of the upbringing of Dill Dempsey, kind of how you got into the business. Um, But the next topic I want to talk about, I feel like is going to be great because it's going to really bring out a side of you that, you know, I'm curious. I want to know more about, you know, because I I know myself, I've had my fair share of injuries. Uh, I have had my fair share of downfalls where I told myself I just need to take a break from wrestling and step away for a little bit to get my mind right but I've never experienced what you experienced and I was actually there when this incident happened to you but uh I know you did have a pretty significant injury a really big injury that took you out for I want to say about a year uh really close to a year close to a year seven eight months right it was a it was a good amount of time um 
how well first of all for the for the viewers obviously when you answer your question what was the injury you got how did you get it and you know what was your mindset like how did you get through all of that i feel like that's a, that's a, something we want to know so please feel free to share that with us Ooh, i got you um I mean, there's the cliche, you know, it ain't ballet, but really, I mean, knock on wood, obviously, I, before that, have been pretty, I guess you could say blessed or lucky, you know, I, maybe at the time before this significant injury, the worst thing I ever had was a dislocated shoulder, but I didn't need surgery, I just had to do, you know, a bit of PT and, uh, like medication, rehab and whatnot. And I was back in like six weeks, you know, I took it easy, but that was in 2016 when I was barely starting to sort of barely kind of know what I was doing, you know, still getting the reps, getting the miles and the shows in just trying to get out there. And, um, I've had, you know, cuts, bumps, bruises. Um, that's the worst at the time, but then flash forward to, February 21st, 2021 in uh, Laredo, ironically, like not even five minutes from where I live, this uh, one building, uh, Blackout Training Center, I believe is what it's called. It's like a basketball uh, kind of facility, but had great like room for a wrestling ring. Um, this was a local promotion I wrestled at, and uh, at the time, I didn't really notice it, but uh, this is a shout-out to uh, one of my good friends, uh, Raxo, who uh, he was brought up in a sense to where he's very uh, aware and very protective of how the ring is and how it should be because, sure, I mean, a ring looks, like, fun to be in and stuff, but, I mean, if it's, you know, if it's, like, uh, not set up correctly or if boards are about to break or if the padding's thin or, you know, the ropes are wrong. Like, that could be a hazard, you know? Like, there's no such thing as a perfect ring, but it can be, okay, at least good enough to put on a heck of a show where, God willing, we're all good at the end and we can live to tell about it the next day, you know? Um, Raxo noticed something a little bit off throughout the entire show. I was maybe third match... Every match that preceded that had four guys in it. So it was not just a one-on-one where it was like, okay, like it's just two guys. But like the first match was a, a fatal four-way. The second match was a gauntlet where it ended up being four guys. And I was in a tag team match. And you can even notice, I'm sure the video may still be out there somewhere on YouTube, where Raxo was looking very cautious about the ring Whereas, like, I'm cutting a promo, just being in heel mode, being, you know, a total prick. <laughs> just working the crowd, having fun. And um, there was even attempts, like, throughout the show, like, even before the show, to try to fix the ring up. Because there was a seminar that went on, which had, like, maybe 12 guys, including me. But I guess, you know, the powers that be didn't really give us the time to check the ring and double check. Because... The padding was thinning a bit and the boards might have been off, but we didn't think anything of it, you know, until five minutes into the match, there was a part where I had him in a headlock and he was supposed to pick me up to kind of throw me back to where like I land on my feet, a landing that we do in everyday training, basic spots and whatnot, but my right leg landed right where a board was off or 
Like, you know how when you land, it's just a flat landing? But my right leg followed through and kept going. Right there, I felt an immediate, like, impact. Like, if you were to crush a soda can straight down, just just like that, but it was like this pain, you know? It wasn't a twist or a bend. It was just I landed straight and I collapsed. I knew something was wrong right away because getting up, I knew it would have felt worse, so I had to, like sit out on the floor and I was in full adrenaline and in panic mode. So I got escorted to the back, basically carried. And everyone was like, whoa, what's wrong? What's going on? I'm like, I don't know, my leg, something's up with my leg, you know? Until I heard one of the guys like, yeah, they're about to go home. It's the finish, it's the finish. And I'm like, screw it. Nope, nope, I'm going out there because I was a big part of the finish. It was like a double team deal we were going to do. So as Raxo was trying to finish the match two on one, I come on out there. I'm like, nah, man, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I managed to do the entire thing with one leg for like the 30 seconds left of the match. Full of adrenaline, probably more guts than brains. And in my head, I'm like, okay, it's just a stinger. Something happened. Maybe I pulled something. I don't know, but this really hurts. Oh, you know? And as the show went on, my adrenaline was gone, obviously. But it felt like my... In a certain part of my leg that it felt like I had a thick knee pad on still. Like it was that bad and swollen. Not knowing what it was. Until fast forward to Thursday, five days later, I went to train because I took a few days off. I felt okay except I couldn't bend my leg back as far as I normally could. And even uh, Spartan kind of noticed something was up so I had to like... Not sit out, but I didn't have to do certain things anymore. I just kept going as normal. And this is where, you know, you, me, and shout out to Pac, Pac Ortega, we were at his place going to, to be honest, the town of the, the name of the town escapes me. Yeah, I don't really know. But it was hella far, like east or west Texas. Ross, Ross, Texas. Shout out to Ross and uh, Panda Express. Shout out to the man himself, Russ. <clears throat> exactly. The man himself, Russ. The man himself. Um, probably some of y'all listening are yelling the town at the top of your lungs, but I'll look it up later. Um, <laughs> it might have been Irving, Texas. No, no, it wasn't towards Dallas. It was towards maybe Odessa. I'm not sure, but uh, um, Friday night, I noticed there was some pain in my leg. Maybe it was getting more sore or more swollen because of training. So Saturday rolls around. And typically before the show, it's just a crap ton of us doing like these drills and basic things where like some of these guys are basically scouting you and checking you out and seeing how you can do like 101, wrestling 101. Oh, how do they roll? How do they bump? How do they do basic spots? So I go to do what we call an up and over, running from the corner to land on your feet. So doing rolls before that, I felt okay, but getting out of the ring, I'd feel significant impact, but I would ignore it. I'd push it through until I landed in that up and over. Same impact, but 10 times worse because I didn't have adrenaline. I wasn't wrestling. I was just training. That's when I knew something was wrong, but I just couldn't. I was, I was too stubborn to like, you know, like I wanted to keep going, but I knew I couldn't because it was that bad. So there was an EMT there who speculated it might have been my MCL because of where the pain was. 
So I was on so much, you know, ibuprofen and heat and ice. And uh, you and Pac got to wrestle in the first half of the show to where y'all weren't needed for the second half. So we needed to like, well, not needed, but we were given basically the okay to go home, like to go back y'all to San Antonio and me to uh, eventually Laredo. And uh, you guys to this day, I swear, I, I bust y'all's balls for this, but uh Y'all offered to drive back like the four or five hours. I'm like, guys, thank you because I'm in pain and I'm kind of sleepy because I'm on these sleeping pills. Not sleepy pills, these pain pills like ibuprofen. So I remember I'm just in and out of sleep. Y'all pull over to a gas station in the middle of nowhere. One of y'all switched. An hour later, y'all just kind of look at me. Bill, can you drive? I'm like, (sighs) fine. (laughs) Freaking one leg in pain. Y'all are dead asleep in the back when I'm driving to Pox. I'm like, I'll remember this. I have one leg, and I'm driving y'all's asses back to San Antonio. Ugh. So then, what? A what? what a, y'all what were the asshole. dicks. What asshole? Man. Yeah, shout out to Pac Ortega and Mr. Eliha over here. I don't know who Eliha is. I know who the King Cobra is. Man, that damn snake boy. So... And what broke my heart, I remember to this day, was, you know, with Jazz and Rodney, they were one of the main guys there, one of the main scouts. They went through a similar injury back in WWE, especially Jazz had three surgeries, if I'm not mistaken, on the same knee, just from previous injuries. Uh, Rodney Mack had a big injury in like late 03 that kept him out for about the same time I was out. But it was his PCL, which is another ligament. So they both looked at me like, kid, we've been there. Just rehab. Don't worry. You'll always have a spot. And that got to me emotionally because, like, it's Rodney and Jazz. Like, I grew up watching them wrestle, and I have so much. Like, where they've been, they don't have to be as humble and as giving as they are. Like, they have the right to be, like, dicks and arrogant. But, no, they're, like, they're humble. They're, they're the humble folks. Yeah. Shout outs to them, you know, and they're like, nah. Much s- yeah, much love. They're like, nah, smiley, don't worry. Rehab, take your time. Don't worry, we'll always be there. Just give us a call, you know, and they kept their word to this day, and I still work with them and train with them whenever I can. So, again, I know this is sounding already convoluted, but I'm in the unknown at this point. I'm just thinking something's up on my knee, but I don't know what it is. And what hurt me is that I had to call like four shows and had to cancel at the moment because I'm like, yo, if I can't do these things and move around, like I know something's wrong. And thankfully they were all understanding, you know, they weren't like, oh, but we had you in this match. Oh, why can't you make it? Oh, like, no, they were very understanding and ready to replace me if needed. So I thankfully got to back to Laredo safe and sound eventually that next morning, which My God, when I woke up that next morning, my leg felt like it went through, I can't even explain it. It was in so much agonizing pain when I woke up and uh, my God, I knew something was wrong. So the next day was that Monday. I got to see um, basically my doctor there at LSMC. Big shout outs to them. Uh, My leg was so swollen it was to the point they couldn't recommend an MRI because they thought there'd be so much obstruction to what really is going on. So I had to do PT for like almost two weeks and take these uh, anti-inflammatories 
to where I felt somewhat better, but I knew something was up. I didn't train. I just observed, and I still traveled and recorded shows, commentated, you know, announced and all that. Until finally I took my first MRI, and my God, what an experience that was. Laying still for 45, 50 minutes, just like you can't move a solid muscle. Yeah, because you're inside. That you're chamber. Inside little chamber. And I'm yeah, like, I, mm. I remember when I had my MRI so that they looked at my shoulder. Yeah. Because I had uh, gotten a push there. And, um, yeah. I got that from doing it up and over. Believe it or not. What? God you know, dang. From on, on your shoulder, bro. On your shoulder. I mean, I can see that, but I don't, yeah, you know, to me it was the landing, you know, but fuck, I remember me, that. I, just, I yeah. just pushed that hard. Damn. Easy uh, there, snake boy. But, uh, I remember that. But nevertheless, yeah, you, you laying in that chamber, and for me, they put on a movie. I guess I tried to, like, get Man. me to stand still. I, I had headphones all, on. Yeah, they, they they gave me headphones. They gave me the little. I didn't get to watch anything. Uh, and they just said that they're gonna put on a movie, and it was a lame ass fuck movie. I'll tell you what, but <laughs> I want to know. I would rather do that than just be there, like. Uh. And then it feels freaking hot. Like you're under there, and it feels hot. Like it feels Kinda, like there's yeah. Like you have like a lot of pressure around you. I don't you're know. Surrounded by yeah. I don't know. You feel something when you're in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't say, honestly, I almost thought I was about to get an anal probe from a fucking alien or some Whoa. shit. I don't <laughs> like, hold on, this ain't The Sims now. What the hell? Now, <laughs> Wait a minute, player. No, hold no. on a second, but listen, brother. <laughs> no, nah, but I'm sorry. Continue the no, story. You're good, you're good. Similar experiences, sadly, with that uh, MRI. I remember, I think I slightly moved. And it was to the point you just hear the guy, oh, yeah, you kind of slightly moved on this last one. You just need one more scan. We need you to stay still for eight more minutes. I'm like, <sighs> Get this over with. So I stayed as still as I could. Finally, all right, you're free to go. Boom. Uh, what sucked is, uh, yeah, I'm sorry if y'all didn't catch that. Uh, I'm just kind of going with the mic here. Um, I had to stay still for eight more minutes because I slightly moved and it was like, Jesus Christ, get this over with. But what sucked is that was on a Friday and they're closed on the weekends. So I had to wait three more days to find out a lick of what was going on. So finally, I show up, and the doc shows these images. He's like, okay, um, so your MCL and your LCL, which is the left and the right side, those are strained. Flips the page, but your ACL's completely gone. Like, completely, like, detached from the bone. Like, it's not partially torn. It's completely torn from the impact. And he's like, well, I would strongly recommend surgery if you still want to wrestle you can still wrestle, don't mind, don't don't get me wrong, but you're gonna get early signs of arthritis because the bones are gonna connect and hit, and that's not good, especially for you know a young athlete because that ACL is what protects it. It's the cartilage and the muscle and whatnot. So I was like, I I, I have to get surgery if I want to wrestle at the level I still do, which is every weekend at least minimal two, most four shows in a week, and it's like. I had to bite the bullet, and I scheduled it for late April. So I had like maybe seven, eight weeks, and I was going to still do my commitments, but as an announcer or a commentator or recording or cutting promos, just to continue giving back while I can't physically do it, you know. And oh, don't get me started on the day of the surgery. This was my first and so far, knock on wood, only surgery I've ever had. 
It was an ACL reconstruction medial meniscus repair. So it was a little bit of a two. I remember that day, it's like, oh, you can't eat or drink anything for 12 hours prior. So midnight the day before is when I couldn't eat or drink anything anymore. And I was told, okay, it's going to, you have to go in at nine and it takes like maybe an hour or so. I'm not sure, you know, that detail I'm a little amiss with. Um, I show up at nine. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, 9.30, 10. We're like, uh, what's going on? Until my mom kind of goes like Karen mode. And, and finally, <clears throat> uh, you know, Dylan is like, <clears throat> yep, finally. I go in. I'm just laying in the hospital bedroom, just watching TV, waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. It's already noon. It's been three plus hours. I'm just like can we get this over with, you know? Finally, they ask if I have contacts, which I do, I wear contacts. So I finally took those off. My vision's horrible. <laughs> so everything's just like very blurry, you know? Like I could barely make out anything. And another hour passes by. It's like 1.30 finally. And they give me what they call a cocktail, which is like a mixture of all these like sedatives and you know, night-night medicine and pills and anti-inflammatories, you know, to what goes in the IV that I get hooked up on. So finally, I think it's like close to 3 p.m., and they finally hook me onto the thing, and it's like, all right, well, we're going to stretch you on in here. Here's what you're going to take, and I take this these pills, you know. And from what I remember, I get wheeled out in a stretcher, fade out and I wake up and I'm like in a cast and everything and I'm like wait what's going on what but what I don't remember is very freaky is that I apparently under my own power got up to the surgical table and laid still but I don't remember that I think I was already like you know like already faded away and literally three days later is when I started PT and my god it was brutal <laughs> Bend the knee, get the nerves back to normal. Had to run and walk and bike and elliptical and bend and all these things. It was, it was not fun, but I was motivated. I wanted to come back better than before. Not only physically, but mentally. Because thankfully I got to come back that same year, but in December. Shout out to Branded Outlaw Wrestling in San Antonio I had like my one return match just to kind of see how I would feel. And it was a basic like uh, seven minute match, you know, with uh, Devin Carter. Shout out to him, by the way. Uh, took great care of me. I was nervous, excited, scared. What if one wrong move, it happens again. And I'm not going to lie. It was a mental battle coming back. Like throughout the recovery, throughout my first four months back, it was like, should I be doing this? Should I be recovering? And, you know, now I feel comfortable telling the story. And I feel comfortable doing up and overs again, thank God. But, you know what they say. It's a physical battle, but to be honest, nothing beats the mental aspect of it. It's like, should I be doing this? Could I do this again? Am I done for? Am I going to be back even a lick of the same how I was? Like, it was a mental struggle, to be quite honest. And I think that's the thing that I always tell people if they consider getting into wrestling is that that's true. It is just as much 
a mental battle as it is physical, you know, especially when it comes to doing things like taking new bumps. Um, I know for me, one of the biggest things my class was kind of a little worried about was when it came down to doing the flip bumps off the top rope. Oh man, you know, like a lot, a lot of, a lot of us, you know, it was our first time ever being at the top rope and you want us to do a flip off of this damn thing. Like you got me, you got me screwed up. You got me messed up, dog. (laughs) But, uh, that's, that's, that's really inspiring, man. And, um, I think that's awesome. So more specifically, when it came down to, I know you mentioned after when, once you got back into the ring, uh, you know, you did, you know, you were kind of in your head a lot being scared, uh, a little, probably I'm sure a little bit cautious about everything, you, you know, just worried because obviously you just had that injury. I'm pretty sure that to, to a, to a degree you could call it PTSD, right? Had a little oh, yeah. bit of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, how did you overcome that aspect? Like, what was it that really, like, what was it that you were telling yourself or what was it that you were doing or what just was it that really helped you get through that that part of it? Because I think this this is something that a lot of people kind of struggle with. You know, a lot of people don't are like worried about so many different things. So what was it that you yourself, Dill Dempsey, did to help you overcome, you know, these thoughts that you were having, these worries? You know, that is a great question. And I'm not exactly sure if I've really told a lot of people this. Maybe... I have to like a select few when the subject comes up, but this is going to be a little bit deep, but I mean, it does, you know, coincide with what I'm about to say, but we're all aware, you know, of the speaking out movement and uh, what happened throughout 2020 because of COVID and we had nothing much to do and the state was closed for a little bit. Uh, That was a big mental uh, struggle with me too, because especially throughout like, 18 and 19 2018 2019 that's when I really felt I started to hit my stride and hit my groove being comfortable as a wrestler and a performer and feeling like okay I can hold my own out there and it just got all taken away in March of 2020 and where everything halted and slowed down and uh you know, that's where it kind of comes to where you and I met, you know, when you had your very first show at uh, the Houston Premier Arena in front of no crowd. It was just like a live, you know, live empty arena taping to put on YouTube, Facebook, social media. I got used to all that because at a time there was no crowds for months, maybe even close to a year. Like my timeline might be a little bit off. And I was one of those that just said, F it, I'm going to go out there and wrestle because that's all I know how to do and that's all I want to do. I'm not going to sit at home and wait. I'm going <clears> to, <throat> and I'm not going to lie, it really helped some people, like more fans, have something to watch and do because like I would wrestle, shout out to uh, APW in Laredo and uh, VWM in the Rio Grande Valley. There was a show called Danger Zone where... And it's funny, shout out to Jesse James. He's like, you know, um, we, we're all out here wrestling in a pandemic. Um, it's like we're wrestling in a danger zone, am I right? So that's why he called his show Danger Zone. <laughs> and it was in far Texas, if I'm not mistaken, um, where there'd be two, three matches max filmed in front of zero people. 
but aired live on Facebook. And a lot of people would watch because they would get their local wrestling fix at home while not being able to go out or afraid to go out. And I don't blame them because COVID back in the day was an unknown anomaly. We didn't know about it. We didn't know if there was a cure, how deadly it was. Like we were just in the in the unknown about it, you know, including myself. I'm like, am I risking it? What am I doing? You know, but that's how I got more comfortable and felt better. So right when shows were picking up in early 2021, this happens, the injury. It's like, damn it, everything opened up. People are comfortable again wrestling. It's like, God damn it, what if I can't keep up? What if I can't be on the level that I want to be because I was out for so long, you know? And this was at a time when, back to speaking out, when a lot of the old ways started getting, you know, disassociated and eliminated because a lot of these, like for the better term, scumbags got outed for like all these things when it comes to, I mean, I hate to use it, but I mean, it's true. They got outed for, you know, gaslighting, pedophilia, harassment. And it was a lot of like the old guard ways, you know, versus what we have now, like, what you, me, and uh, a lot of these, I guess, guys within our age group and experience, experience like in life and in wrestling, or going through the camaraderie, the camaraderie, camaraderie, ugh, I'm getting choked up, and the brotherhood, and uh, not just, oh, like, we're wrestlers, you know, eh, we're just going to deal with you once a week. No, like, we, we're idiots, you know, we goof off, we have fun, we play Fortnite for Christ's sake, you know, or, oh, hell yeah, yeah, bud, (laughs) you know, like, it's a brotherhood, like, it's a, you know, it's a sorority of some sorts, it's like, oh, it's a wrestler thing, you know, and we're hitting the roads, traveling, making memories, what got me motivated is right when I got injured, a lot of these guys who started in the pandemic, or right before the pandemic, really started breaking through, A lot of these younger talents, a lot of these guys who just wanted to have fun, wrestle, get out there, get better, but sometimes were hindered by this old school way of essentially getting hazed or it's like, oh, it's a secret society or, you know, like some guys can attest to it. Like, oh, if they started within a certain year, it was hard to break out because it's like, oh, no, you can't do this. Like back to what you said in the very beginning oh, you can't do this, you can't work over there, you can't wrestle this guy because he's associated with this guy who I hate for enough some reason, you know. But those ways kind of got exposed because of the speaking out movement and a lot of guys just ventured out and basically flew free, you know, and had fun doing so. I'm like, you know, I want to work with these guys. I want to wrestle with these guys. Maybe put them under my tutelage a little bit to kind of show them, hey, let me show you what I went through and use it as a positive experience. And granted, I had to wait a while because I was out for most of 21, but I can still verbally help guys by watching and critiquing and giving them constructive criticism and advice to where finally, hey, now when I'm ready, I'm going to put you all to the test and we're going to have a fun do- have fun doing it, you know? And um, it's just that, you know, because I feel that I have enough experience to where I can show them a way to where what's right versus what's wrong and uh, 
not to be afraid to fail because how are you going to get better if you don't fail? Like it, it happens, but what makes you a better wrestler and a better human being in general is how you bounce back from that and don't let it consume you. Like you said earlier about the setbacks and the the comeback, you know, <clears throat> shout out to the name, by the way. And, uh, I want fire name, fire name, daddy. <laughs> I want to be that positive beacon because once my time is up, I feel my legacy should be, Hey, we learned this cause of Dill. Dill gave us this pavement, but now we are going to improve it. And now we're going to make this pavement for the next generation and the next and the next, not just leave it in an age where it's in limbo, you know, and there's not that one person paving the roads like a certain someone i know who pays roads late at night but uh either ways um, <laughs> um if you get what i'm saying that's my drift that's what got me going like when i'm ready i want to challenge myself with these guys i want to make stories memories and bonds with all these guys and girls out there that's pretty awesome man so i feel like in essence, kind of what I got from that. Um, one of your biggest inspirations to, you know, get back in the ring and, you know, overcome these mental obstacles was you really just wanted to be an inspiration and show everyone, like, you know, this kind of mindset that you had, right? More so just kind of show us that, hey, you know, like, you're, I'm not going to get better, you know, by just being scared. Like, I got to overcome this by doing it. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing, man. Um and I think that that's something that a lot of us can take. There's a lot that we could take from that, you know. I feel like um, that's something I've preached myself uh, a few times, obviously in different ways, uh, different wording, of course, as well. Uh, but it's it's something that I liked, you know, hearing that because, again, like, that just proves that, you know, kind of the way we look at things and the way we overcome our different obstacles, everyone you know, can learn something different from everyone else. And it just is more of a testament to, uh, you know, just kind of the mindset. So I think that's a really cool thing. Um, now, now here's kind of, I guess, like the little bit more laid back part of the podcast. So we've already got quite a bit, which is good. Uh, but now I want to just tackle some, some of the, some, uh, some random questions for you. Um, right. kind of just to end everything off. I think that's really cool. Uh, kind of where we're at now. And, we also do have another guest in the building, and I'll, we will allow him to chime in if he chooses to. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but <laughs> nevertheless, Dill, uh, I, I do, I, I do have a few questions that I came up with myself, and then uh, we may have actually a few on here uh, from the Instagram, from the Instagram uh, that that will have you answer on the podcast just as a way to get people to come in and tune into the podcast you know if they want if they really want these answers they better come and listen uh, <laughs> wink wink there we go um, but I want to know man uh, going back to your early years who was it that really inspired you and made you say hey this is what I want to do so who inspired you and also tell me who did you model most of like kind of the dill dempsey character after hmm. so uh, i'm gonna kind of answer that in two sections if you will um firstly as a fan growing up from seven years old until you know 
27, I mean, about literally 20 years I've been a fan of wrestling. Um, Honestly, I was just so much in awe and so much inspired by just about anybody that you can pick out. I was one of those that catered the dastardly heels. Like, they did their jobs. Like, oh, that damn Triple H, he would always win. He had evolution on his side. Man, he was a prick. And Kurt Angle, back when he was a heel, he was just so cocky. But looking at it now, one of the goats of all time. But this is like a perspective 20 years later. But uh, one of the guys that always stuck out to me like first was uh, Undertaker. Uh, this was still when he was the American Badass, one of the last few months when he was the American Badass. Just that dude like was like, God damn, this guy's riding a motorcycle and he's kicking ass. Like, my God, I don't want to mess with this dude, but he looks so cool. Like, damn. And the last ride, my God, I'm like... Do not want to take that. I, I have <laughs> shouts out to a few guys that have given me that move, but my God, like, and just looked like that dude. Like, I would want on my side is like, like my, like, oh, like this guy's be my bodyguard, or oh, this guy's like my fighter, you know, like. And once I found out there was another persona of him, like the dead man, I'm like, excuse me, I'm like the dead man, what's going on here? Like, whoa, and he turned into the dead man like in 04 again, you know, after Kane buried him, that buried alive deal, you know, um, like Undertaker was always one of my guys, um, Chris Jericho, Kane, I saw the last bits of Stone Cold when he was an active character before Mania 19, just something about Stone Cold, you know, um, now what I'm about to answer here is a specific moment that got me hooked, Looking at it now, very controversial, but looking at it through the eyes of an eight-year-old is what got me hooked. And you know where I'm going with this if you, I say a certain pay-per-view, but WrestleMania 20, the main event, where Chris Benoit won the World Heavyweight title. But it goes before that. It's when he entered the Royal Rumble and number one lasted the whole entire thing. And you mean Benoit's like... My height, he was 5'11", you know, he was he was jacked, of course, but he was short compared to a lot of the main roster, you know, Land of the Giants at the time, early 2000s, but seeing him last over an hour, having an underdog performance, granted what we know now, unfortunately, but before 2007's eyes was just inspirational and like, holy crap, like this little dude's kicking so much ass, what's going on, and when he finally dethroned Triple H and had that moment with Eddie, rest in peace, Eddie, of course, it was something that got me connected and hooked. Like, this is a moment. I want that. Like, that's what hooked me. Like, the brotherhood, the drama, like, the triumph of victory, you know? And, um... Seeing him and Eddie yeah. celebrate after the... That was quite a moment. That hooked me so much. So it's like, damn, like... That got my eight-year-old heartstrings tugged, you know? <laughs> and, of course, the video games and creating my wrestler and having fun with it. It's like, I'm going to do this and that and this and that. And, like, that's what essentially got me hooked to really want to do it. Because back then, I just saw it as, like, oh, what happens next week on Monday Night Raw? Or Velocity, Heat, SmackDown, like, all those shows, you know? Shout out to Heat and Velocity. Great shows, like, underrated shows, honestly. Um, but nowadays growing up, it's like, okay, I kind of know what pro wrestling is. I ain't going to say the word. We all know what it is, but I grew up appreciating 
certain styles, psychologies, philosophies. This kind of goes back to the undertaker taking his time. We all know that he moves like a dead man. But when he's fast, it means something. The time he takes, the methodicalness of it all. Guys like Triple H, very underrated when it comes to a technical style. His brawling, taking his time. Um, Even, and this one's kind of a, not an odd one, but kind of a dark horse. But guys like The Miz as well, especially in his later years with his promo skills and his abilities in the ring. Notice, well, he's been in the WWE since, what, 06 as an active competitor. Only one major injury, which turned out to be minor, which was ironically something with his ACL, which was just by a weird landing when uh, Damian Priest, I think, landed on him. It was back in the uh, Thunderdome era, that Zombies match that really no one talks about, but for good reason, no, no offense to that. But um, his style, his longevity... And his ability to adapt, just like Chris Jericho. His ability to adapt over the years. Y2J, the suit-wearing, slow-talking guy. The Ayatollah rock and roller. The pain maker. The, the bubbly. Like, all those little things over the years is what sticks out to me. Like, you know, everyone can find their niche and I can just apply it, you know? Like, there's just a big ball that I can apply, like, I have a tiny part of this with my style, that with my style, this with certain moves I do, the way I talk, the way I walk, it's little bit flavors of inspiration added to my own. And I can definitely see that because uh, some of the matches uh, we've had together, you know, I see little things, especially when it came to The Undertaker. Like <laughs> snake eyes into the big boot type yes, thing, sir. you know, <laughs> um, and those and those are honestly that that's really cool, man. I feel like um, a lot of talent I've noticed, you know, kind of take a little bit from everyone, um, but uh, that kind of leads into the next question. So uh, this is more about the independent scene today. So who? So it's it's another two parter to this question. Okay. So this this question is gonna be. Who are your favorite people to work with on the independent scene? And who is a dream match of yours? Whether that's uh, someone on the indies or someone that's in the feds. Who, who would those be? Ooh, that is a, that is a good one. Um, I think, honestly, the easier answer could be, or the, the shorter answer could be who... Do I maybe dread working with or kind of just feel like it's a chore to work with? Because to be honest, a lot of guys and girls, you know, intergender wrestling, oh, yeah, you know, I've had my own way of working with in a sense of like, hey, I know we can have fun because we can mesh with this, mesh with that, and uh, basically make a great story with both our styles, not make it so dominant to like, oh, we're doing it this way, kid, or we're doing it that way, kid. It's like, hey, w let's do the best of what you know versus the best of what I know. And I feel that's what we can make it great. Like uh, our guest right here, uh, chilling on the floor, I've had some fun matches with. Definitely you I've had some fun matches with. One of my best friends, not only in life, but in the business, Kyrie Adams. Wrestled him so many times, countless times. 
Raxo goes by Raxo Moreno now. Um, Jonathan Life. I mean, it's the old cliche. Some of your best friends outside of wrestling make the greatest when it comes to chemistry in the ring as well. Sometimes the opposite. Oh, maybe the guy you don't really like or despise can make <clears throat> great magic as well. Like Brett and Sean, the obvious one, you know. That's what I'm working a lot more. Still. Let me tell you what. No. <laughs> oh. oh, was that why? <laughs> uh, but there are quite a few. Like I could ramble on and on and on, but I ain't going to do that, you know. But just about everyone I've wrestled, I can say I have a positive experience with. There's maybe... The 1%, which I'll dread to name and not put out there because it's not worth it, but most of it may have been in like earlier days when maybe they were frustrated because I didn't know what I was doing or, oh, there's the new kid. Let's beat him up, you know, like, and nowadays I would like to have a second chance to be like, hey, now with knowing what I know and knowing back then, hey, let's, you know, recreate that, but let's, I guess, make... Not amends, but uh, let's make up for it. You know, let's redeem ourselves and whatnot. But now, to answer your question of a dream match, I definitely feel these are two guys I've never wrestled, unfortunately, but I've shared locker rooms with over the years that are from Texas that I feel are definitely, what's the word? They're like the standard. If you can hang with them, you can hang with anyone. And this is my opinion, of course, through my lenses. But one I'm about to say, uh, major congratulations. I'm sure, I don't know when this comes out, but uh, Brian Keith, I feel that guy, holy hell, that guy is a standard in a great way to test myself out there. And humble dude, really chill, um, over as heck everywhere I've seen, especially with that theme song. Still tipping rather. <laughs> and another guy who, this guy I've known longer, but has always been humble, no matter what, always treated me with respect. I've treated him with respect. Great guy all around is uh, Barrett Brown. That guy. That my goodness. Hey, somewhat book it, brother, brother. <laughs> my goodness. Like when I watch him, I feel like I'm like. Oh, boy, how am I going to keep up with that uh, wily son of a gun? <laughs> uh, he's another definite guy I've had on my list for years. Brian Keith is a guy who later in my journey without this is with this, rather, is someone I have grown to definitely try to, like, uh, basically keep an eye on in the sense of, like, if I ever get an opportunity, I'm going to study and see the best of him just hopefully combine it with the best of me. And same with Barrett, you know, he's still going strong all these years later. That dude ain't slowing down. It's like, hey, man, before your ass gets signed, I want to match. Same with you, Brian. Like, my goodness. <laughs> Those are honestly really good people that you mentioned. Um, I think I've only shared a locker room with Brian Keith maybe once. But Barrett Brown's someone that I've noticed as well. And I think that, you know, definitely... I'd like to have matches with both of them as well. And I could definitely see you doing doing that. You know, I feel like, again, like I've mentioned before, you know, I've always looked at you as um, no matter what locker room I'm in, whenever I'm in the locker room with you, I look at you as a locker room leader. But you're definitely someone that I could definitely see as being someone that I trust to have a match with anybody. I think that you're capable of getting good matches out of everyone. I know 
especially whenever I was still fairly new. I feel like now putting a match together, me and you, it's a lot different than whenever when I first started. I feel like when 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 I was first getting, you know, first getting in the hang of things, it was a lot harder <laughs> because I, I, I didn't know a lot. But now I now I know a lot more and it's uh, we're able to do a lot more and I'm a lot more confident doing a lot of that because uh, that's something I battled with a lot when I first entered the scene. Granted. I was only working off of three months, and technically, I still kind of am working only off of three months, but, you know, those reps really have helped me a lot, so I've, I've, I've changed a lot in that, in that aspect, but those are definitely some great answers as far as, um, you know, who you'd want to face in the scene. Um, the next question, we're actually going to start going to the Instagrams to... We're going to go, we're going to answer some of these uh, on the podcast and some of them will actually stick to answering on Instagram. But uh, one of your fans actually asked, they want to know, Dill, they want to know, what is your favorite food? Ooh, man. I've always, I don't know, like I, over the years, have grown to really love Italian food. Like, I love pasta, I love pizza, you know, anything in between, strombolis, uh, calzones, like, you name it, hot pockets, for Christ's sakes, you know, like, I just love Italian food, I don't know why, I've always really enjoyed it, you know, and, uh, of course, the easy answer is, oh, like, oh, I love a good burger once in a while, you know, but I love, you know, chicken, uh, rice, pasta, um, but to be honest, I am one of the most pickiest eaters out there. Like I'll say it out there. I'm not ashamed anymore to say, but I love ketchup, but I will not eat a tomato. <laughs> uh, back then, it's only fries, but never a potato. But now I actually like baked potatoes. What a chick. Listen, pal. <laughs> you know what? We're going to edit this here. Uh, we're going to cut this. Ah, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's just some of the foods I like. And... Uh, over the years, I've gotten a little bit better, but I'm still very picky. There you go. <laughs> oh man, um, that's great. I love some. I love me some Italian food too. Yes, um, another question we have. I have only like a few more. I mean, there's a lot of questions, but I'm like again, uh, I'm trying to split them up somewhat. Um, someone asked, and this is kind of a kind of kind of a dig, man. I want to know too. When is Dempsey winning a title back? Oh, and for that one, you could thank you could thank your favorite podcasters for that one. Uh, there we go. Let, let's see what was what's your response. What's your response? Uh, I could give the old "you never know," but uh, what I can simply say to that is, you never know when reality will strike. Or when it'll gain 10 to 15 pounds of gold. All I can tell you is to simply stay tuned. Because I will strike again soon and I will get me some gold. I, I was waiting for you to call me out on freaking... <laughs> I mean, I might call you out, but I gotta get you out of nowhere, you know? God damn it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um... So, so far, those are those questions. And I guess just to, to end it off, man, I mean, let's see, how far are we in the recording? About an hour, a little over an hour. Um, that's pretty good, man. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I feel like we've uh, 
we've covered a lot of good ground here. Um, a lot of really great information, you know, you're shared with our audience today and hopefully, uh, hopefully our audience is able to take, you know, some of what you said or a lot of what you said and use that as inspiration, you know, cause I, f I felt like your story is one that should be heard by a lot of other people. Um, because again, your circumstances are very different than mine. I've never had like an injury, but whenever I've stepped away, it was more so just to take care of my mental health and emotional health, which I felt which is, is important. very important, you know, but uh, some people, they don't have that choice. Some people, they have, you know, life happens, they get injured or whatever, and they're, they're forced in that, into that situation. So um, very cool to at least uh, get a better understanding as to what was going through your head at the time. But um, I guess before we wrap it up, Dill, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Huh. Well, essentially, you know, talking about the comeback, there's a very quick, a very early story of when not even up until my second match, I actually almost quit wrestling. This is a story very few people know, and this might be one of the first oh, times oh, I air it out. Oh, no, well, why wouldn't, you know, it's kind of a sad one. Well, kind of, kind of. So back, you know, again, I didn't know a lick, and I was just happy to be there, barely, barely knew how to walk in the ring, much less do a lockup, you know. This was my second match, but my first ever singles match because previously I had that uh, Rumble match. But here's the thing. I was not very consistent my first two years. It was bad, you know, especially for someone like me that didn't have, like, the proper training or a good word of mouth, essentially, you know. So my second ever match, my first singles match, was in, uh, I believe, March 8th, 2014 in Laredo in front of eight people when there was a horrible storm outside, but it was indoors, thank God. On the night of a concert and a big boxing fight. So, of course, there was no one there but maybe friends and family. But funny story is uh, that is the night I learned how to bump. And what I had to do, no joke, anywhere from 60 to 70 times, I had to hit the ropes into the middle and take a bump. Like if I was taking an invisible clothesline. Not knowing how, I somehow did not get hurt or concussed or have, like, bumps on my elbows. But I was sore as hell for, like, a week, I'll tell you that. And um, this was at a time where, in, you know, my character, I was kind of going through a bit of a identity crisis. You know, like, am I this guy or am I that guy? Both realistic and in kathabe, as they say. So I had to wrestle, you know, obviously as Dill but then also as like an understudy of another character. Think, you know, Miz and Mizdow, like how it was like stunt double and the real dude, but I was just trying to impersonate another dude, but I was essentially getting destroyed every time because I guess they liked my mic work and I would get destroyed. There was a point where as Dill, I was like in a segment and got sneak attacked and whatnot, I had to change into this other character, which was difficult because I had to remove, I think, my either boots or kick pads still at the time and switch to a pair of shoes because I didn't have boots yet. I almost had a pair. But <clears throat> my time management wasn't good because I was in a corner changing until 
apparently you just hear loud, where the f*** is Dill? We've been playing this song three times. Where the f*** is he? And I'm like, huh? And like I'm running out almost not ready. And I'm like, uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And whatnot. And I was a wreck, to be honest. I wasn't used to that kind of like, like suddenness and getting ready and getting into match mode. And it was to the point when I went to the back, I'm not going to lie, tears were coming down. You know, I was, I was crying a bit because I was like, what am I getting myself into? What's like, I wasn't used to that kind of, you know, confrontation, I guess you can say, if you will, or that suddenness of it. I felt like I crapped the bed. This was actually before I came out as this other character and wrestled. I felt like I crapped the bed in this segment because my music hit three times. I felt like I butchered a lot of stuff out there. And I was in tears changing into this other character to wrestle. And uh, this is a shout out again to Prince, who I mentioned earlier. He lit a fire under my ass and said, no, what? Are you crying? No, this is not a business for that. If you're going to do that, I want you out of this locker room. Da, 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 da. Like he just gave me a vet talk, you know, and uh, that kind of lit a fire under me. But in my head, that almost made me quit because I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm clueless. But at the end of it all. Prince gave me a pep talk and said, I respect you more than just about anybody I've ever seen because most guys would have just left. But you went out there and you still did your job. Now I'm going to have you under my wing and I guarantee that. And he was my first mentor. One of my first, if not my first mentor. And uh, taught me, you know, a little at a time. And thank God for him, man. If not, who knows? That would have been like a two-match career right there. Two-match career of Dill, baby. <laughs> and that's beautiful because here's the thing. I think it's very important when you meet your first mentor. And sometimes it's not even just a first mentor. I feel like with some people, there's situations where we tend to be, as people, very vulnerable. So hearing the wrong, like hearing an answer from someone that maybe you value, right? It's very it's very pivotal because, for example, I always use Russ as an example. But one of his examples was one day he was he was making beats and he was like listening to a beat with his uh, one of his best friends, Boogus, who also is a who also is an artist. Um, and he just one day just asked Boogus out, out, on a whim, should I start rapping? Because he was kind of like back and forth with himself. He was like. I know how to make the music. I know how to make the beats. I, I write a lot of music. Should I start rapping? So he asked him. And Boogus told, encouraged him. Told him, yes, go for it. And Russ himself describes it as that was a very pivotal time because if Boogus would have told him no, he would not be here today. Because that, like, it's moments like that where you're vulnerable to, to a degree that if you're unsure about it, but if you ask the wrong person and they tell you no, you might not end up where you're at, you know? So it, it's one of those things where, especially with me, the only difference is with me, I'm, I'm a stubborn ass person. I'm not going to lie to y'all. Like I'm very stubborn. The, and a lot of my most vulnerable spots before I even went to wrestling school, I'll, and you guys will probably, probably heard it on the last podcast if you guys heard it. Uh, it dropped yesterday or two days ago. It depends when I drop this specific episode. but. Nonetheless, uh, in my last episode, um, 
I opened up and I told, you know, everyone about kind of how I got into wrestling. There was a very early on, whenever I was telling friends about it, whenever I was telling my family about it, everyone was against it. You know, it's one of those things where I really had little to no support. And from the people that I valued, I've valued their opinions the most. Some of those people were the ones that did not believe in it. They did not believe in what I was doing. They didn't believe I should waste money on it. They didn't believe in my vision. And rather than letting it stop me, again, I'm a stubborn ass person. If I want something, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get it. So uh, uh, luckily for me, it didn't It didn't play out like that. Like I, I didn't follow that. But that's because, again, I'm just a really stubborn person. Uh, but I know with some people, you know, it... It, they, there is a point where you become very vulnerable to the point that, you know, just that wrong answer from that one person can really, can really change, ch- can change things, right? Change, change the trajectory of your life. And I just think that's a beautiful thing, man. You know, uh, uh, for me, my mentor in pro wrestling, uh, Eric Shadows, you know, he's, he's the first person that kind of took me under his wing. And to this day, he's still one of my favorite matches because you and him, you and him both pushed me. <laughs> Even Nathan Bradley, too. Uh, Nathan Bradley, yeah. Uh, that's why I like working with guys like y'all because at the end of the day, I feel like y'all push me. And because y'all push me to not only, like, have obviously a great match. That's always the goal. But, you know, y'all, y'all really push me in the sense of uh, trying to get me to do even more, to try to, you know, do even better than that we did last time. And sometimes I feel like that's, it, it can be tough, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's always rewarding, man. It's always rewarding, you know, being able to just go out there and try it. But, you know, thank you for sharing that story with us. Uh, and uh, let the fans know where, where can they find you on socials? All right. Well, um, I'm pretty simple. You know, I have a uh, Dill Dempsey on Facebook. That's just Dill Dempsey. That's the fan page. I have a, uh, Instagram, which is in lowercase Dempsey956, and uh, I still call it Twitter. I'm sorry, but, I mean, come on, you know. It's X, Twitter. Uh, that is uh, Dempsey R-O-R-913, and, uh, I mean, really, those are just really the main platforms I'm on. Uh, there's some stuff on YouTube as well. Uh, Shout-outs to, you know, FGV Media, Wrestling Tacos, um all those forms of media doing great work throughout the state, making us look like a million bucks. Um, they have some of uh, my latest stuff on there from the past few years. And uh, just anywhere where you can type on Google, I suppose. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you again so much for being a guest on the podcast. This has been, again, something we've been wanting to do for a while. But we had the time today. You know, you're 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 here in town for a match tomorrow. Um or today, I should say, because it's already past midnight. Oh, yeah. But uh, nonetheless, man, thank you again for being a part of the podcast. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. If you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please be sure to hit that follow button. Be sure to give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you may be listening to this podcast. And uh, we'll see you guys a little later. Have a good one.